Welcome everyone to Cashflow Equals Accounting. This is your host, George Aguilar, and today I want to welcome a very special guest, Elizabeth Quinn. Uh, she's a real estate investor from Phoenix, Arizona, and runs Skyline Real Estate along with her husband. Uh, welcome, Liz, and thank you for coming to the podcast. Thank you, George. Thanks for having me. I appreciate this opportunity to uh, talk with you and help anybody out there that I can and give some of our stories and um, some of our most of our wins and and some of our struggles. That sounds perfect. So let's let's take it back a little bit. So tell me, wh- where did you grow up and, and how did you go into this path of real estate investing? So I actually grew up, I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. And I met my husband uh, 25 years ago when we were working uh, each um, for the summer in Colorado. And he happened to live in Phoenix and I had happened to already spend um, some time in Phoenix with some family that I had had out here. So um, after he went back to Phoenix and I went back to Columbus and we chatted on the phone for quite a while, quite a few months and met up again and he came and met my family, I decided to move out to Phoenix. So um, in the early 90s, I moved out to Phoenix with him and um, we both uh, worked and lived here. And then um, at, in the mid 90s, uh, we decided to move up to Colorado for a couple years mm-hmm. and um, be with some family up there. And then it got very expensive. So we came back here in the 2000s to Phoenix. And that's when we started doing some rehabs, um, purchasing some um, rentals and kind of got into the real estate business a little bit. But then another path took us into the cell tower business for quite a few years, which was good in a way because we didn't um, suffer through the uh, recession in the mid 2000s. And then a couple years ago, um, through the luck of some friends and some opportunities and um, some training, we decided to get back into the real estate business and go back into some rehabbing and acquiring some more rentals. And that's where we're at now. So, so Liz, I kind of want to take it a little bit step back. So at what point uh, did you and your husband make the decision that real estate and why real estate was the, was the path for you guys? Real estate's really been my husband's passion, always his passion. He's had his uh, real estate license for 25 years. And um, when we did the cell tower work, we were still involved in the real estate because we were involved with leasing zoning and permitting um, cell phone towers and so dealing with landlords and real estate contracts and that and so it's just always had been his passion and um, we had the rentals which (laughs) I was the landlord for those and I can say that wasn't really my passion (laughs) but again in learning and in training yourself and realizing different ways of doing things in better ways and working smarter not so harder Mm -hmm. um, it was easy uh to get back into it and and i guess for the real estate part of it uh you know i tease him sometimes because he'd say real estate is always the way to be it's it's always gonna go up real estate never goes down it's the way things happen and so in the mid-2000s when things were all over the place i said i thought real estate never went down but (laughs) as we see it's going back up again and you know there is a lot of I've heard a lot of stories about things that happen to people, especially very successful real estate people. And I, I'm amazed at how they came back and they still believed in it and they still were passionate about it. And so I thought there really has to be something 
to this type of investing, mm-hmm. to this type of business. And, and I guess when you get the correct training and you put your mindset to it, there really is a passion to it. And, and it's a passion in, in um, helping people. So, and it's twofold in helping people, help them find their dream home or help them out of a situation um, that they think is not um, achievable in terms of they could be in free pre-foreclosure, they could have inherited a house, there's trouble with the house and they can't sell it. And so I see the passion in that now in helping them and helping people through distressed and bad situations and or when we're finished with the house and being able to give somebody a house that they truly love and that we love and we put our passion into and it's a great product so it's a win-win if you ask me (laughs) now yes most definitely so now you touch a little bit upon you know the training so as far as training right so kind of not you know your husband having some background into real estate investing um how did you get trained or where did you get your training uh to go out and get some rehabs and get some flips and some deals under your belt Right. Well, fortunately, we um, were invited into a a nationwide um, group of investors that offer exceptional um, training. And um, it was a program that we jumped into wholeheartedly. And it's effort. It was a lot of effort. It's a fire hose of information for um, however long you want it to be. I mean, you can do it, you know, quickly in a couple months. You can take your time. But Um, It was educating ourselves, surrounding ourselves with the right kind of people, the correct education, the coaches that were there to support you, the online um, videos and support and tasks that you need to accomplish that. And it's putting that in your mindset and and doing that. I mean, you can't read one book and say, I'm going to go out and do this. You can't watch a television show and say, oh, those guys make it look easy. (laughs) You know, anybody can do that. I, I could have seen that coming. Um, but it was the education um, and taking the time to do that and learning. And there's so many resources out there mm-hmm. from whether you're a realtor and you're in um, real estate classes to a meetup group to um, formal education that you pay for to a local RIA group um, that you can belong to. And our, our Arizona RIA group is phenomenal. And that's the Real Estate Investors Association. Mm-hmm. And not only do they do monthly meetings and constantly are bringing in um, phenomenal trainers, and there's a fee associated with that, but, you know, it's an education. Yep. But they also offer education through um, the RIA office. And so, you know, this isn't a business for the faint of heart, and you have to – I mean, education is just vital. And so however you're going to do that, but I do caution in terms of um, – and fortunately, knock on wood, this hasn't been a case with us. But mm-hmm. there's there's programs out there that aren't necessarily as good. So doing your due diligence That's in important. following up on the education, purchasing that program or who's training. And, you know, get the background on that before you spend any money or mm-hmm. spend your time and make sure it's a legit, legit business. And we were very comfortable – um, with the, uh, the program we took on mm-hmm. and now literally there's over 25,000 investors in our network of people all over the United States wow. and into Canada and, um, the boot camps, the training, the, um, networking is phenomenal in that. So 
Uh, it's just educating yourself for sure, intelligently and reading as much reading as you can do. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Now, Liz, there's always like kind of like a a, a a talk or a controversy between when is too much reading or too much education. Or when does education stop you from actually taking action? Can you talk about that? How did you go from you know getting the education and actually taking action? Because that's a big step that I think most people uh, take a long time to decide because they think you know I need to study one more book or I need one more training course you know before they actually do it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh yeah, so that is a very real thing. And there's also the analysis paralysis. Yes. You can analyze the deal to death and then, and you know, miss or you know, just miss the opportunity. So for us, you know, I kept educating myself and kept educating myself, and I had the coaches, and finally I did have a, a coach that said to me, Liz, you can continue to learn, but you need to stop this. You need to you need to take an opportunity and, and a chance, but an uh, an educated and correct type of chance. Yeah. But you need to do that, and so. My like my my husband and I had purchased rehabs before. We had done this business before, but in this new model that we were going to do, we were using other people's money. We had secured um, some money, a little bit. I mean, we didn't have it yet, but you know, people were like, "Okay, we might invest with you." Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we had done our due diligence on that, but now finding you know the right property. So so I think things work out in. A, in what you want to call maybe a coincidental way, but you know, there was a path that was leading us and we had both, uh, my husband and I had both attended a class on HUD homes mm-hmm. and he had purchased a HUD home way back in the early nineties. And he liked that system and he, and he liked um, how to do that. So we attended a, a real estate um, accredited class for him on HUD homes. And there, you know, we looked at them, we figured out how to purchase them through an extended list because as an investor, you have to wait so many days. So he was intrigued by that and he started looking and following a couple houses on the HUD list. And one day he came to me and said, there's a house in, now again, we're in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So one of our nice, uh, nicer community here, or a, a wealthier community here is Scottsdale. And he said, there is a HUD home that is still on the list and it's in Scottsdale. And I think it's gonna make it off the extended, or onto the extended list. And so sure enough, it did. And uh, he spoke with the other realtor about it. And, um, you know, we kind of did a little bit of analysis on the numbers and he was pretty confident in it. And I could hear my coach saying to me at my last call, you just got to do something. You just got to do something. You just got to do something. We also heard if you do it, and this is true, I can attest to this. If you do, if you take a chance, the money will come. If you take a chance and you do everything the correct way or as best as you can to your due diligence, the money will come. So sure enough, my husband talked to the um, realtor. He put in a bid on Friday night at 10 o'clock. Um, based on the fact that he thought the numbers on that house were going to drop just a little bit. And sure enough, 8 o'clock that next Monday morning, we were awarded the bid. And all of a sudden, I think we got it for three fifty. We had to come up with $350,000 plus wow. our rehab cost. <laughs> so that puts you right there into, oh my gosh, we did it. Now we have 30 days to come up with the money. So we literally hit the ground running. We went to more networking meetings and more ASRIA meetings and 
meeting more people. And we had already talked to a couple hard money lenders that we had some relationships with. We sent them the deal. They said that they thought it was a great deal. We started lining people up and uh, fortunately we had a family member that strongly believed in us and um, said, I'll joint venture with you on this deal. And so sure enough, in those 30 days, we found all the money, we found our contractors, we you know, got our rehab budget together and we took the leap. And it was the greatest thing that we did. And uh, the house turned out great. You know, it wasn't without some hiccups along the way, um, but it turned out great. And then I had a gentleman, so then I had another family member that wanted to do some investing with us because they saw the potential in it and again believed in us because it wasn't the first time we've done it but in our new method the first time Mm -hmm. and it wasn't the first time we've run our own business so they believed in us so then i had a wholesaler who had been giving me opportunities for houses and one day he said i got a deal liz i think you really like in a hot area and i really want you to come over and look at it well my husband couldn't come our project manager couldn't come so i went over there and looked at it and i walked around and i ran some numbers in my head and looked at the comps in the area and I said, okay, I'm just going to buy it. If I'm going to go outside my box, I'm just going to do it. So he's like, all right. So we ran to the bank and I gave him my earnest money. Now this is about a week before Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I said, whatever you do, do not tell my husband. I'm going to give it to him for Christmas. (laughs) So I called my project manager and I said, I just bought us a house for Christmas. Don't tell Scott. We'll give it to him for Christmas. He's like, you are crazy. <laughs> I said, I know I am, but this is the only way. I mean, you know, and it was it was a less expensive house. This was an $88,000 okay. house. We were going to put twenty twenty five thousand $25,000 into it. And the ARV, the after repair value on that was about $140,000. So at $88,000, I didn't think that it was really going to be a loss and that I was really putting myself out there on a limb on too much um, opportunity. And so then a week later, another house fell in our lap and um, it was a great house. It was a clean house. So she, the uh, woman had passed away and she was a little bit of a hoarder. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the house was just dirty and full of junk. And so once you look at the walls and the doors and the baseboards and, you know, it just needed carpet and paint and a little bit of stuff in the kitchen and, and that was a no-brainer. So it just kind of started snowballing and just taking the chance and that leap, that one leap of faith. And I do have to say, in regressing um, back to that mm-hmm. first house, um, for us, I don't want to say desperate times called for desperate measures, but as I said, we were self-employed in the cell tower business. Mm-hmm. And my husband was given an opportunity to take on a contract job by himself, whereas before we took on individual sites and I had subcontractors under me. Mm-hmm. So my business was invoicing, billing, paying these guys, doing the insurance, doing contracts and everything. Well, when my husband took on a contract job, that eliminated basically my job mm-hmm. because I only had to bill out once a month now instead of, you know, what was happening on a milestone thing per each site. So then all of a sudden I was like, I got to find a job. <laughs> I gotta do something. And then I thought, okay, I've been self-employed for 15 years. Who wants me to go work for them, first of all? And second of all, we've invested time and money into this real estate business. Mm -hmm. I need to make this work. And so I thought, I'm used to, um, with the cell tower business, you you know, you did the work, you build the work, 
60 days later, you got paid for the work. So I was used to that, you know, not having a paycheck every week. Mm-hmm. So in the house, it was, okay, we're going to buy the house. We're going to rehab the house. We're going to sell the house and we're going to get paid on it. So, you know, it was a little couple steps backwards and maybe a little bit of debt here and there, but knowing in the end, when we sold the house, that's my paycheck then. So at that point in time, I needed to do something. I needed to get a house and start rehabbing or I needed to find a job. And so through a lot of encouragement, we got that house and and I was thrust into project management, which is what I thought I did not absolutely want to do. I did not want to deal with contractors. I did not want to be on site. But then it turns out with the help of a great project manager that was an old friend, Mm -hmm. it turned out to be the greatest thing. We have a great team. We brought in some great guys, um, some great workers. And it was, I've learned so much. I've taught them so much. And it was, it was a phenomenal thing. And that became my job then. So now, you know, it was no different than how we got paid before. It's just, you learn when you get the windfall, you don't go buy a boat or a car or anything else, you know, oh, this might last me for six months. So it's doing that. So, so that's why it became, you know, desperate times, so to speak, called for desperate measures. And I had to jump in and do it. And so, and so now we're, we're buying our uh, 15th rehab tomorrow. Congrats. And that's about 18 months. So it's uh, worked out fairly well. So, <laughs> so, so time, Liz, well. it kind of seems like you have a couple rehabs under your belt, right? So kind of like talk about like how do you mitigate the risk? Because, you know, when you invest in real estate, you just – you have an idea of where the numbers are going to be, but what's kind of like the backward or, or the, the, the work before purchasing the home that you do to know right. that, you know, for the most part, that's going to be a profitable deal. Can you talk about that? Right. Well, yes. You absolutely have to do your due diligence. I mean, you have to look at the deal and the price you're purchasing of that and your profit comes in your purchase, not in your sale. What am I purchasing it for? And is it going to be profitable? So again, with our education, we were given the tools to come into a house and the training to look and see, not as an expert, but as a trained eye, okay, what needs to be done in here? And we have a, what we call a repair estimator. Mm -hmm. So we go out, starting on the outside of the house in, how does the roof look? How does the um, fascia board look? How do the windows look? How, you know, is it good? Is the house need to be painted? You know, through, we bought a house that had a foundation issue. Um, We could see it had a foundation issue. There was a crack. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how much that was going to cost, but guess what? That was a negotiating deal. And that was something I had to find out more about. So you start, so we do that. We walk, we don't, I would never personally buy a house sight unseen. That's not our business model. That's not what I'm comfortable in doing. Um, I wouldn't, I should say I will never buy a rehab that way, but, um, some people do mm-hmm. not our re- but so we start on the outside in, we come through with our repair estimator. We see what, um, visual inspection on what we think has to be done. And as you do more and more of these, you get better and better and better. And I bring my project manager and, um, you know, if I know major stuff has to be done that like the foundation mm-hmm. or my roofer. Um, Because we have tile roofs out here, so those kind of things, you know, something that I'm not well-versed at. I bring that person in beforehand. So um, we put together our repair estimator, and then we have a deal analyzer that we plug all those numbers into. What do we think our holding costs is going to be? How many months? 
what are taxes, what are our insurance, what are our utilities, um, what's our repairs. We can put that all into our deal analyzer and come up with what we think, what our return on investment should be, what our profitability would be. And uh, depending on the, I don't want to say we're set on any return on investment, but especially okay. on a mid, mid home, uh, mid, uh, you know, two hundred, five hundred thousand dollar home, we really would like at least a minimum of a fifteen percent return on investment. You know, but you're talking a million dollar home. Well, maybe eight percent is okay for you. Yeah. So that's whatever you're comfortable with in your numbers. Um, so then. We do that, we, we plug all that in and make sure that it's a good deal. Now, we, the other major co- factor in that is you absolutely have to look at the comps and what is sold, not what's pending, not what's for sale, what's but what sold? is sold that is exactly or as close to your house in that same half mile radius that you can. I have a three bedroom, two bath with a pool. Uh, and a sunroom and a two-car garage, that's what I need to make sure that I'm comping against to make sure what I can sell my house for. So it's that attention to the details that really matter, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. And then the bottom line is, too, not over-rehabbing a house. I mean, you can make... I mean, I can, you can take anything and put more into it than you need to. So you have to watch what's the most cost-effective stuff for me to put in this house, but still maybe bump it up a little bit from what's happening in the neighborhood, um, but not over rehab it for what will sell at your price point and not be overcharging on something. So um, you really gotta watch. And so that's why I say the training, training, training. And have I made mistakes? Absolutely. Have I messed up a, a um, cost on stuff? Yes, have I had unexpected costs? Absolutely. But we talk about that in the end and um, what we did right, wrong, or different for the next time. And I'll say on that note, my investors get their money. My contractors get their money. If somebody's gonna take a hit on what went wrong, it's me and then I learn, but I'm not here to make other people learn from my mistakes and be caught in that. So. I, t- so I do take care of my people. <laughs> I think that's great. I think that's great because like you said, everything's a learning experience, right? But you obviously, the people who are trusting you, you don't want to affect them, right? For for a decision that you made. So um, I think I think that's a really good approach. Now, Liz, you've definitely been in the industry for a while and you've, you've met other real estate investors. So what do you think uh, sets apart, sets successful real estate uh, state investors apart from the rest? Huh. Well, and that's a good um, that's a good question. I don't know, you know, because the thing is, is you can act like people in your industry are competition, mm-hmm. and I don't believe that. I believe that we can collaborate with them, we can learn from each other, and we can also help each other. And I also believe that, you know, I'm in Phoenix. There's five million people here. I yeah. don't know how many people are investing, mm-hmm. but. There's, I think, enough opportunities to go around. Uh, the thing with that being said, though, is not all investors are trained the same way mm-hmm. and not all have the same mindset. And there are, I think there's some people out there that feel victimized by, by that, uh, you know, opportunities that might be presented to them or... Um, taken advantage of or something and and i don't say it's it's uh industry-wide but Mm -hmm. that's 
not our business, you know, that's not our personal business model. So, you know, we have investor groups that we are part of so that we can talk to each other and, and what's working and what's not working and how did you do this and how did you do that? And that's, I call on those people um, for the same thing. I don't know exactly if I'm answering your question, but no, you are. I, think, I think that um, being part of that group is essential. And it also can weed out if there's bad apples in there, you know, that they're not going to be successful or, you know, they're just not the business model for us. And so, but I think it's great because I think, again, if you can go back to helping people mm-hmm. in situations that they need, you know, assistance with, then, and then it's such a, a good um, situation to be in, not somebody that's out there to take advantage of somebody. We don't try to associate with people like that um, and hope that we can help the people in a different way. So, well, I think like any industry, there's the good and the bad. But I think the, the way you answer the question is, you know, what sets success, successful real estate investors apart is really the networking and just going out there and doing it, right? It's kind of been the right. constant theme. and care. I mean, and it's these people, you know, you have to go in and realize, you know, an older, an older couple, older woman, older gentleman, this was their home. They might have raised their children in there. They had love and laughter and... And, you know, that was their home. And now whether they can't ha- handle the home anymore or they passed away and now the children have the home, mm-hmm. you know, you got to handle that with respect and with caring because um, it's not just a, a, a shell. It's not just wood and, and a ha- you know, it, it, what's the difference between a house and a home? Well, a house is made of sticks and stones and a home is made of love alone. So it's a home to these people and you have to... I think treat it that way and treat them with respect. It's, you know, yeah. so that's important. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Now, so, so for someone young starting, wanting to start, or not necessarily young, right? It can be of any age. Um, what would be your advice to someone just starting out in, in this in this industry of real estate investing? You know, what would you tell them from your experience? Well, right, so first, I mean, training, training, training and um, networking and then watching, just making sure you connect with people that are honest and true and have integrity and that you learn from them. Do not go out and try to do this business, I would think, alone, because you have to have a network of people. If you want to be a successful rehabber, you have to have good contractors and you have to have um, money lenders and you have to have uh, real estate agents that'll help you and you have to surround yourself with the right people if you're going to do it alone and think I'm going to go buy a house and I'm going to do all the work and I'm going to sell the house on my own it's going to be way harder and I'm not going to say you're not going to be successful mm-hmm. but you know it's around the people that you can surround yourself with and that can help you to be better and that's what we found and I'll tell you that that's an honest thing because in, when we first were doing rehabs we were buying them ourselves we were rehabbing them ourselves and then, you know, we could turn them into rentals, but it was a lot of blood, sweat, tears, and uh, anguish that we didn't have to necessarily go through had we realized surrounding ourselves with the right people that can help us be better and do the work right um, is, is, is the way to go. And, you know, that goes back to a question you asked me way a little bit ago about overlearning. And um, you've got to learn, 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 learn. And then you have to keep learning, but there is a point in time where you have to start doing and I say that because now I'm, you know, for me right now, I'm immersing myself 
in social media Mm -hmm. and how to make sure I am branding myself and putting the right content out there. And so I can start some campaigning maybe and some building my network up through people following me and learning, you know, from what we did right or wrong in a house and, you know, how we took it from one stage to the next. But I'm at the point now where I have to start doing it. I need, it's not that I have to start learning it because I, or stop learning it because I got to keep, but I mean, I keep learning, learning, learning. I'm hours in this class and hours in that. I now know I'm at the point. All right, Liz, just start doing it. Just start doing it. Put your content out there constantly, consistently. You can keep learning, but I'm not doing enough. I'm I'm a little bit, but I got to start doing so. So it is that point. So you don't ever stop learning, but definitely start doing at some point. I mean, I, I definitely I think we talked about this, you know, the, the other day, how Tony Robbins has this saying, right, that he says that knowledge is potential power, but action is power. It mm-hmm. kind of resonates with your message today, Liz. Yes. And I'll tell you, there are days where, especially as an entrepreneur, you have to get up and you have to be your own cheerleader. I mean, you have to say, <laughs> I can do this. I got this. Whatever your mantra has to be. But nobody's there telling you, you got to clock in now, you can clock out now, you can go to lunch. I mean, you have to do it. And and it's hard some days and, you know, a lot of times. And it's that chart, you know, where it's, oh, this is great. And then the peak goes down. What am I doing? Oh, this was so fun. What what just happened? And, you know, that can be a five-minute conversation in my head or it can be, you know, a day's worth of work. But as long as the slope keeps going up, is number one and as long as I keep getting up every day and saying okay first of all I can do this and I have to do it because now you know I got four houses I'm buying a fifth tomorrow I got investors out there I got people I, I can't say oh this is too tough today I don't want to do it it's you know my feelings are hurt or I'm tired or you know this guy is hounding me about this I, I can't I just what what can I do to keep moving forward to get it done and to accomplish my goal at the end which is selling the house making a profit, buying another one, helping someone else. So, so Liz, kind of going off that topic, right? Um, so what do you do whenever you feel unfocused or, you know, you, you definitely don't feel like you're yourself, right? Like where that, 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 that you hyped yourself up, right? What, what do you do when you, when you right. feel that way? How do you get out of that state of mind? Okay, I have two things. And one, I tell people this and they think it's pretty funny, so I will share. But one, I've learned some great breathing techniques Breathing from the abdomen, not the shoulders, a lot of deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth, and it's helped me a lot. But honest to God, when I have my worst moments, that I was given a cloth one time, uh, and it was a special cloth, with mm-hmm. a special saying, all this stuff, it sits on my desk, and I now affectionately call it my cry cloth. So when I really have had my bad day, my cry cloth comes out, we have a few minutes together, then I take some deep breaths, I put it away, put on my happy face, and I go out. But that's <laughs> really it. And I have a great uh, family, and that, and so I can call them, and they can, uh, you know, rally me or whatever. But it's just doing it myself. It's just talking through my head and saying, you just get up, you just got to do it. And the other thing now, I do start uh, walking. I, I try and take a walk and excuse myself from whatever it is for a few minutes to clear my head, and that has helped. So... So yes, whether it's deep breathing, walking, or a quick good cry, and then off I go again. So, but that's yeah. it. I mean, you just got to keep going. You know, we kind of share exercise. this. I do exercise. 
exercise is key to keeping your mind clean too. Yeah, so I say we, we definitely share the same traits because that's kind of what I do. For me, is working out, and then another thing that I got into it uh, was meditation, because I, you know, I heard so many people talk about meditation, meditation, and then for me, it's like, uh, you know, it's baloney. It doesn't work, and I tried it, and it actually did help. It helps you clear yes. the mind and everything. I just started that, so I'm glad you said that because that has been a New Year's kind of resolution. And I heard on the news today. Today's the day that most New Year's resolutions have dropped off and I did not <laughs> drop off my meditation today so. and I found a great time to do it. I have to take my daughter to school every day and when I mm-hmm. get home from there, I sit in the car for my 10 or 15 minutes and that's my uh, meditation time and it does. It's making an amazing difference. It is, um, it is. Some great apps out there so it's not, you can, and that can help you with that. So yeah, I've worked out already. I've now done my meditation. I do some deep breathing and I'm ready for my day. Yeah, I mean, if you describe the perfect day, it would be just like that, you know, working out in the morning, meditating, and I think it's a great way to start your day. More, most people don't realize that because, you know, you think, how is breathing going to help? But it, it really helps clear the mind and not only clear the mind, but, you know, stay focused into what the intent of the day is. That's what I that's found very helpful. Well, I have another coach uh, that's helped me and he taught me that, how essential, I mean, we all know we need air, mm-hmm. I mean, we have to breathe in order to survive, but how much um, our body needs the air and the oxygen and everything to feed our brain, and just little breathing isn't doing that, and he's taught, I mean, it was it was great, I mean, that's been a couple months ago, and so that's where I learned that, you know, that deep breathing and feeding my brain that oxygen that it needs um, can change it, so. Yeah, most definitely. So now I know we kind of steer a little bit away from the real estate, but that's okay. So kind of like reeling it back into the real estate. Now, I want to talk and focus a little bit on the financial side of the business because, you know, I think most people when they see HGTV, they see the flipping, the rehab and all these stuff, but they don't actually see what's going on, you know, behind the scenes with the financials and the budgets. So can you talk a little bit about that? Do you have any processes or systems that you use yourself to manage the financial side of your business? Yeah, so one of the greatest things that I did was um, hire a bookkeeper. And I say that because that is what I did in my old business is I was mm-hmm. the bookkeeper and invoicing. And so I thought, why am I going to hire somebody? I know how to do this. Well, then I quickly found out I was falling behind on, you know, trying to project manage and get deals and, man, you know, all that and then keep up on my books. So the greatest thing I did was hire a bookkeeper and somebody that was familiar with the um, real estate industry was huge too because the way we track our different, each each property is um, is separate in, an, in the account. It's in its own project. Sheet. And then within that separate uh, property is improvements, utilities, debt services, and insurance. So then those are subcategories within there. And so we can keep track of what each property um, costs to buy it and then all the debt services improvements that were exactly associated with that property. And so what we did so that uh, we can keep up with stuff is I carry um, a checkbook, Mm -hmm. um, not a little one, but a big business checkbook. And I started those with different check numbers than the ones we run through our um, accounting or that she might print directly. Mm -hmm. 
So we separated those so she can easily know if it's a 3,000 check. Oh, that's out of my checkbook. If it's a 2,000 check, then that was something she printed. So, so that system helped. So then I carry that and it has the stubs on the side. So for every check I write, I can write exactly who it was to, which property it was for, and what it was. Kristen House, Jorge, whatever, painter, mm-hmm. it was half the painting. So on top of that, then we found out that it was easier if I created my own work order mm-hmm. so that I knew when these guys are giving me an estimate that my work order, they all look the exact same. So I'm not looking for this guy's yellow piece of paper and somebody else gave me you know, white, somebody else had a little tiny piece. When, when they come to me and give me an estimate, I pull out my own work order. At the very top goes the address. And we bought houses on the same street, so mm-hmm. I make sure the numbers are always on there so we don't confuse houses. Mm-hmm. So if it's 339 West Dallas, then it's up there on the top. The date, the name of my contractor, um, if, they, if I have a W-9 on them or not, and then we fill out what it is. The painting is this many square feet, exterior is this price, the interior is this price. I fill that out. Um, what I'm paying him, maybe at what point, and that's my sheet. Every time I pay him or that contractor, that sheet comes out, the check number, the date gets written on there, um, what I paid him for, and then subtracted, you know, till we zero out. I have a three ring binder that I carry with me that's mine. Nobody gets it, it's mine. And inside that three ring binder is my repair estimator, mm-hmm. my scope of work that we've put together after my repair estimator. Then we dive more into detail about what the exact scope is going to be in each room and what um, products are going in each room. So if I want a black ceiling fan, then there's a picture of that black ceiling fan, the SKU number, how much, it, or not how much it costs, but you know where I want it. Mm-hmm. So that's in, in there. And then I have clear, um, paint, clear, um, the clear little pages, and my work orders get slid into there. And there's one that says um, estimate, one that says partial payment, and one that says completed receipts, so that it moves along in each clear um, sleeve uh-huh. as what I paid them. And then at the end, all my receipts are in that binder, whether it's been Home Depot, Ace Hardware, Walmart, Window Depot, my work order, they're all in there so that my bookkeeper, if she needs anything, it's all there. It's all, it's all there, and it's all kept nice and neat. Now, the other thing that goes to every house is another three-ring binder that has the scope of work in it. Sometimes I put them per room, but they kind of get moved around so much that it's easier to have this, sometimes the book there. Uh, and then that tells, so if I'm not there, my project manager is not there, what happens in each room, they can look in that book and see it. And then my project oh, wow. manager gets a copy of the scope of work, too, that he carries around so that he always has it. So um, that system has worked well for us and really well for me because mm-hmm. there's not a question of what did this, what did we pay for who, why? And if, if I'm paying one check and it's two houses, then you know it's a, again a clearly written out on the stub what went to each house and I write a work order out for each house then. I paid $2,200 for the painting at this house, and I paid $1,900 for the painting at this house, but I gave them one check 
for the full amount so that there's just no um, miscommunication, what was lost, what happened, and each thing. And uh, so it works well. It's worked well for us that way, and it's kept track of stuff. So then my bookkeeper can run all that or you know keep track of it, and at the end, when our project's done, mm-hmm. we can clearly see um, what our total expenses have been, the purchase, mm-hmm. all the rehab costs, all the insurance and that, and then now what our holding costs are and hope that we um, can sell the house in a quick manner so that these holding costs don't continue to occur, incur. And then she wipes the books, I forget, whatever she does, she moves everything at the end so that um, in the end that last number is the profit or loss that was made down to the penny too. I mean, it's not, oh, we made you know $18,000 on this. No, we made $18,746.02 on it. So that there's not a question of. Yeah, I mean, definitely when it comes to doing that business, handling the financial side of the business, you need to know, especially in the business of real estate investing, you need to know exactly where your money's going, right? Right. Well, and your investors, because then they, you know, that's a great way to show them, you know, first of all, they we, we do it a couple different ways with our investors. Some of them get a check every month and they love it. The other ones are okay, maybe getting something at the end and they love it. And other ones, because of, they might have invested through a solo K mm-hmm. and they don't, they can't see the money anyway. So they're okay just getting a report at the end. But I want them, if, if they ever want to say, hey, can we see your books and see how it's going? You know, I'm pretty okay with that because it's, you know, they're taking an oppor- a chance on us, so to speak. And I want them to be comfortable on the fact that they know that we do, you know, we're doing everything right. We're following the systems and we are investing their money in what we said we were not, you know, in, in things that don't have anything to do with the property or a house or something mm-hmm. like that. So it is, it's vitally important, I think, to have that so, system in place. So just to kind of, you touch, I think, on a very important thing, right? Where most people are looking at to the real estate investing, they kind of don't focus on the financial side because they're worried on the rehabbing and everything. But how do you use the financial you know, reports that you get from your bookkeeper or from yourself to use for your investor? How has that helped the relationship with the investors? Well, it's been great because, you know, and I can be honest with them and say, um, they can say, what happened in this house? It doesn't look like you guys did very well. And, and we can talk to them intelligently about that. And, you know, when you and I first spoke, we spoke about one of the properties that we had. And, mm-hmm. you know, we took on a house that did not alarm me at all that had a tree growing out of it. Yep. And um, when we took on that house, uh, you know, my the first thing my insurance agent said, well, you can't keep the tree. And I thought, well, whoever lived here before had the tree for 40 years. She said, well, their insurance agent didn't know it was there. And that's the power of the Internet now. You know, she can type it in and see there's a tree there. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, and we didn't know when we purchased the house exactly what we were going to do with the tree anyway. But taking out that tree, uh, well, the other thing is that tree was holding up the main electrical line from the street into the house there was a strap strapped around one of the big branches holding the main power source off the roof so i had to get the electrical company out there right away uh if you know first we're going to take down the tree well now i got to move that well when the electrical company came they were pretty adamant that they wanted the electrical power moved and a new joint put in from the main line out in the alley to the house because of the current situation, it was running 
over the roof of the garage, over the roof of the house, and attaching. And they were adamant that they wanted it changed and a, an additional limb of a tree taken out and the tree. And you know, we went back and forth, and in the end, they won. So that was fine. But the removal of the tree, the removing and moving of the electrical, a new electrical panel then, dividing it up, mm-hmm. was not cost when I went into the house that I initially put in my repair estimator. Those were things I didn't even... I didn't think were an issue, I, I, but now I know. <laughs> and I'll look at that now. I will look where electrical lines run and say, huh, is this going to be good? Is it running over something? So we didn't lose on that house, but we certainly didn't make the profit that we had anticipated. But would I tell an investor that and give them the whole story and tell them exactly what happened? Heck yes, and why, and what we learned, and what we're going to do. And then I can show them the other ones that were profitable and were good and, and why and what we did right on there and how our numbers came, you know, about. So so I don't think failure or losing is a bad thing as long as you've learned and you can accept it and do figure out what it was and then move on from it. Yeah, no, 100%. I think, I think that's the most important thing, right? Like I think what you're talking about is, you know, one way to gain investors or to keep investors, right, is – is that transparency right and it's being honest right yes exactly because again it's not going to do me any good if i'm not being honest with them (laughs) because it always comes back to bite you in the rump it always does so just put it out there first i say so now liz you know having all this information i know you know talking to some real estate investors i know some of them do a little bit of like an end of the year analysis of their previous deals now is there do you have something like that where you analyze previous deals and you talk about what went well, what went wrong? Can you tell us a little bit more about that process if you have one? Well, and that's great. And I'm glad you said that because we are fortunately only into the 17th day of January of the new year. So uh, we can look back and still do that. And, and um, we haven't set that up yet, but it is an important aspect of our business that we need to do. And I think, and that in terms goes back to the same thing that um, the, the uh, rhythm of your business meetings so that everybody is talking and connecting and understanding. Mm-hmm. So for my husband and I, we meet every single morning as our little huddle about what we're doing for the day, what's kind of coming up for the week. And then we need, but we're not incorporating enough of those meetings into now we need to meet with the project manager once a week and all what's happening. Then our bookkeeper once you know a month or you know the quarter and look at it. So she is wrapping up our uh, 2018 numbers, and um, we will set out for an afternoon, the four of us. And, I, and, you know, this can even be yourself if you're in a team of one or a team of two, but mm-hmm. it is something to stop and look at and analyze it and know if you are watching your numbers, and that goes back to, you know, any marketing campaign or anything that you're doing, what's working and what's not working. You know, because that's what I'm learning when I say I'm doing that social media and some advertising. And, you know, I look back and I say, oh, this was a great campaign. I had blah, 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 thousands of hits. And then I had one that wasn't. Well, what did I do different? So it's no difference in looking at your numbers. What was so great about this house? What was so not great about this house? So we will. 2017, um, we didn't have any. Well, we did. We had some of our own rentals that we had Mm -hmm. done that we had sold. Um, so that was just really Scott's in my business. Whereas now in 2019, we need to go back and look at 2018. So when she gets those numbers wrapped up, we will sit down and look at those. 
and then see and um, start perfecting our numbers for our repair estimators when we go in that we know exactly what our painter is going to charge even if we have to get a new painter well hey you know what we were successfully getting good paint jobs with this mount per square foot so you guys need to fall into our category you know where we want to be so yeah it's, it's important and it is something that we'll get to here in the next couple of weeks well, you know, thank you so much, Liz, for, for sharing your knowledge and, and real estate investing. And usually what I like to do is end, um, you know, the conversation with the with the few questions, you know, that tell more about yourself rather than, you know, the, the business. So um, what purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life? Oh, $100 or less. That's positively uh, <laughs> that's a good one. Well, I'm listening to you on the headphones right now. And uh -huh. so those, I can hear very well when I put those in <laughs> anything. So, and you know what? Well, here's the good thing. I love to listen to books now on audio. I love to listen to podcasts. I constantly, so I don't know if I'm going to be deaf someday because I have <laughs> earbuds in all the time, but I love to listen and re-listen and over-listen and so I think um, that has that that's a huge uh, benefit to me because I can you can be learning at all times or not you know not having that well you're driving in the car I got 45 minutes I can put in something and listen to that so I don't know I guess the headphones right now have been phenomenal for me. <laughs> okay, um, what is the book that you know you've given gifted the most to someone? Or a book, one of your favorite books, either well, or. Well, and it's right now, and in fact, um, I had an honor last night. I'm in a, I, I was, I put on my list for 2018 that I was absolutely going to read more. And I heard a speaker one time say, the size of your library should be bigger than the size of your television. Oh, wow. And that really resonated with me, like, wow okay what is the size of my library because i know <laughs> it's not bigger than my television right now so i thought i really have to do some more reading and learning so i um saw through um, an email that i a meetup group that they were just starting to read um how to win friends and influence people by dale carnegie and it was going to be new it was going to be you know i could walk in there in the first chapter and i was like oh I'm going to do that. I'm going to just, you know, that forces me to read it and be part of it and mm -hmm. then acknowledge it and not say, oh, I'll start it tomorrow or I fell asleep or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I started that group in December and um, I led the group last night for my first time that I took it. They changed leadership each time. And so I thought, again, what better way to be immersed in the goal and in the role than to take on the leadership part of it. Yeah. So I'm enjoying that book. It's fresh on my mind right now because it's amazing how something that can be written, I think it was 1936 or something, yeah. can still be so relevant today. Um, and, and I think it's super important and I'm gonna make sure my kids all have copies of that book um, and that they learn it and understand it. And you know, we just finished the chapter on really treating people and the value of a smile and the value of being genuine to people and finding out about them. Mm -hmm. And I think that was important. And that goes back to what I said, even about the business where, you know, you, it, these are people's homes, these are people's lives. So what, what, what is of interest 
of them that you can learn? What's the rapport you can build with them? So anyway, that's a great book and I'm enjoying that. My leadership role went very well last night, so I was told, so I was glad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- that's definitely a great book. It's I think it's one of my top favorite books. And, and just a quick story, you were talking about you know how to treat people. Um, I was flying to Singapore and on my first layover was gonna be in Germany, I, I flew business class, right? Now, getting to Germany, there was a change in plane, so they didn't have like the economy premium class, so they were gonna send me in coach, right? So, uh, the manager addresses us of the airline and tells us the, the bad news, right? Like, you're not gonna be in business class anymore, you're gonna be in coach. Well, I went the passive route, because I, I was reading that exact book while I was flying to Singapore, and I was reading that chapter, and I treated the manager, you know, just like a person would, right? With respect and, you know, I understood. I mean, I was a little frustrated because, you know, going coach on a 12-hour flight is not the best thing, right? But I I understood his position, right? That, you know, hey, sometimes things like this happen, right? So I just treated him with a lot of respect and I'm like, hey, it's fine. I'll go and coach. No big deal. The girl that was sitting next to me going business class, she started to complain. She was asking for a refund, right? She ended up flying... uh, she ended up flying coat. I mean, uh, economy class, right? On my way back, you know, I'm, I'm going to my seat, right? I'm already thinking, oh my god, this is gonna be the worst 12 hours of my life. I scan my ticket and it doesn't go through, right? So then they tell me to go back to to the manager, and the manager hands me a business class ticket, and he said, thank you so much, sir, for your patience. I appreciate your understanding. He gave me a business class ticket, and I flew business class for 12 hours. <laughs> And that's it. It's just true. You know, sometimes it's hard because we're so frustrated with something. We're so angry. And it's, yeah, what can we do to just make the situation better and diffuse it a little bit and and be better? And I can't say I'm an expert at that. My nickname used to be Tizzy Lizzie. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm learning. I am learning. But, yeah, through a lot of deep breathing, meditation, other things. But, yeah, so I think it's it's just good. It's just, you know, because you never know. You never know what other person's day has been like, too, you know? Exactly, exactly. So also I think that's a great book. I think it's one of the, the books I recommend the most. All right, so yes. um, what are bad recommendations you hear in your profession? Bad recommendations? Yeah, that you hear in your profession. Uh, well, there's a lot. Of, I mean, I don't want to say a lot. You know, it goes back to... I think people that take advantage of people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that are, and, and I think sometimes that might be how a seller feels if they're like, they are getting just attacked by people trying to get their house and, and gouge them and take advantage of them. And so I think if people aren't building the right rapport and are in it for the right reason and are going back to what you just said, understanding that person and their their situation their mindset or anything else then they have a so there's a lot of bad reputations out there i don't want to say bad people because they could be i don't we're not saying that but they're going about it maybe the wrong way and gives the industry a bad rap sometimes okay because not everybody's like that but there can be people like that and and it could just be the lack of training, lack of empathy, whatever else they, they are lacking. But that can be frustrating because people are feeling like, oh, my gosh, you're just another one of those gold diggers or, you know, trying <laughs> to find a deal, a shyster or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, that's not what we're trying to do. 
Well, so, thank you so much, Liz, for, for your time. Now, where can the audience learn more about you? Okay, that's great. So um, we are Skyline Real Estate, but our web page is um, under Skyline 2 Homes. So it's www.skyline, the number two, homes, with an S, dot com. So www.skyline2homes.com. On Facebook, we are Skyline 2 Homes. And on LinkedIn, I'm under Elizabeth Quinn, Q-U-I-N-N, and Skyline Real Estate. And um, Instagram, I'm at Skyline 2 Homes. So I'm trying to keep everything on the up and up on there, the content, (laughs) the quality, the videos. We put some great before and after videos of our products. And uh, so you can follow along and see some stuff. And it's good. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for your time and for, you know, giving us those valuable lessons and giving us a little bit of insight on your story in the real estate investing world. So thank you so much, Liz. Thank you, George. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And I just wish everybody a lot of luck. And, you know, just as there's a great story out there from uh, Steve Harvey, and it's called Jump. Okay. And if you look that up, it's it's phenomenal because sometimes you just got to take the jump. No, thank you. Thank you so much. We ended with some inspiration. Thank you, Liz. Yeah. All right. Thanks, George. And I hope to talk to everybody soon.